1: This is the CC Radio Podcast.
2: It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I could tell you the honest truth. I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. It missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just um, like the feeling. I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling, like you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight down the tree. All we
0: get is a big red eye.
2: I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed, and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out.
1: Welcome to the show everyone. You are listening to Believe Paranormal and UFO Radio. My name is Cade Moyer, and thanks for tuning in. If you've had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au. Or you can message me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. If you enjoy this episode, there are a few things you can do to help the show. Firstly, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review, or you can share the show around social media with your friends and family, and that would help us grow. Hey everyone, just a quick message before we jump into this week's episode. This was a very special live episode held on Facebook. I was lucky enough to be joined by Don Mears from Australian Skies and Attila Koldi from Track Search for Australia's Bigfoot to discuss disclosure and a whole bunch of weird encounters in Australia. Our live shows also include a call-in number, so be sure to keep an ear out for that in this episode because we actually had someone call in. I guess what we're what we're talking about today is the fact that the New York Times released an article saying that a report has been handed into the Defense um, uh, Ministry of Defense in the United States that essentially say that. Uh, they are picking up craft that aren't made on this world and to me i think that's kind of a, a glaring obvious point that's that's almost admitting that this is a real life thing what do you what do you guys think about that
3: i haven't read the article so it was a new york times
1: new york times released it and essentially what it is and i do have a, a tiny little excerpt from it from it here and it's Basically, uh Mr. Davis, who now works for the Aerospace Corporation, a defense contractor, said he gave a classified briefing to the uh to a defense department agency as recently as March of this year about retrievals from off-world vehicles not made on this earth, which is which is a pretty damning type of statement to to put out into the public, I think. That is, the first question is, is then where were they made? Exactly. It's, um, it's, it's, to me, it's almost the admission that, guys, there's life out there and this is getting made Mm. somewhere else. And where is that somewhere else? What is that somewhere else?
4: I mean, let's look at history for a little bit. I mean, there's been a numerous there's there's been numerous political figures that have come forward and, and spoken about the UFO phenomena over the years. Um I know Leslie Kane has has been involved with this with a very with, with this project. Um I think she had uh connections with I think with, with a US senator, a former senator or, or with a Canadian senator. Um and a lot of these guys seem to have come clean with with um with the whole topic of UFOs and that there are things out there that, that um you know that the governments are paying attention to. My biggest concern when it comes to this this type of information is is disinformation. Yeah. Is how much of this is real and how much of this is not. And I know for a fact that basically what they do is is when they do release information or when they talk about information that is sensitive, the they won't change a story a lot, but they'll change it enough to completely tra- change the structure when someone else goes and and tries to um, replicate that story in in an article or in a conversation. So it's a tactic that is used. Um, that is my biggest concern of of how much of this is real and how much of this is actually smoke screen for something else.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because. We've got, I think it's National Geographic, or it might be the History Channel, who have done this show with this To the Stars Academy, which is, I think it's called Unacknowledged or something like that, which, mm-hmm. which kind of got the the Tic Tac video release, which is kind of the 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 amber that started this this fire really, and it, it like you said, it wouldn't be a far fetched thought to to really say is that a disinformation ploy used by the government at this stage.
3: I still just have to come back to the – it's Tom DeLonge. And, um, I mean, the guy, where he's come from, his credibility, uh, out of all the people that could have been used to uh, disseminate sort of information, why the hell did Tom DeLonge sort of suddenly get all these access points into government? Yeah. That's what I don't understand. Is Why, why wouldn't it have been – you know, a myriad of other sort of investigators that we have out there, even, say, Stephen Greer or something like that. Why Tom DeWong? Um, I'm still wondering about this probably ties into a lot what Attila says where it's smoke screens. One thing I will say, though, is that it does seem to be a bit more of a gradual unveiling of information. Yeah, yeah. Whether- whether, whether that information is is valid or not i mean that's a completely different argument but that they definitely does in the last year seem to uh, be a lot more especially in the press when mm. you watch the press watch the media a lot less of the x files music and the little tin foil hat sort of jokes yeah and um, a lot more sort of serious discussion to do with a lot of these videos that are appearing
1: yeah, absolutely. And it, it also tracks back to a documentary that was released. Um, and I, I want to get your guys' thoughts about this, is the, um, the the Bob Lazar documentary that was released by um, uh, Ryan Corble, I think his name was, and it, it's on Netflix. Everyone can watch it. It's basically, it's free out there to watch now. And um, that that was also one of these catalysts to, to a lot of this disclosure happening, I think, because one of the, I don't know if you guys have seen this documentary um at all, but it, a lot of the stuff that, well, I, when I say a lot of the stuff, probably take that with a grain of salt. Some of the stuff that um, Bob Lazar was actually talking about in that documentary, uh, some mm. of that stuff has started to come to fruition, especially some of the details about how these supposed UFOs work and his understanding of it, with especially it kind of the UFOs being pulled uh, essentially belly first. And we see mm. a lot of that type of activity in these. Uh, unclassified UFO videos released from the Navy. Um, what do you, what, What's your opinion on on that type of stuff? Do you think that Bob Lazar was telling the truth? Do you think that it's take it with a grain of salt? Is there is there some truth to what he's telling us?
4: Look, Bob Lazar has been around for a very long time, and and um, I know that uh, George Knapp was was very closely involved with uh, some of the original. Content that was made before he went into hiding. Um, Bob made some extraordinary claims back, I believe, in the in the nineties and early two thousands before um, uh, before he we actually went into hiding. And all of a sudden, he's emerged again. You know. Yeah. And I guess it was it was a it was a, a good opportunity for for someone to go in there um, who's who's got contacts and to actually create a documentary or to revive the character of Bob Lazar. Um, the information that I saw in the um, in the documentary, personally, I thought it was a well composed documentary, but it's nothing new. Yeah. It's it's pretty much the same information that Bob was telling us back 20, mm-hmm. 25 years ago. So there's nothing new there. Uh, for a lot of people, or some people, I guess, depending on the generation, Bob Lazar mm-hmm. is a new phenomena.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but for those people who've been around, um, especially in in the whole UFO community. Um, they know who Bob Lazar is. Um, so, again, it's, it's, I couldn't I couldn't see anything that was groundbreaking or anything that was new. He was basically recounting what he had already spoken about 20, 25 years ago. I think
3: as well, this is probably an aside to what Attila's just said as well, I think with documentaries, you have to remember that there's always an agenda. A, a filmmaker will have an agenda in as much as that they are trying to, even with a the documentary, there's going to be a narrative that runs through it and a for and against. Um, I think in the uh, the Bob Lazar documentary, it was really just almost like a love letter to Bob Lazar, you know, like showing it wasn't so much a for and against. And that's an agenda itself. Like it, it was sort of showing Bob in his best light, you know what I mean? Um, You've got to remember that, take, for instance, the media today. Ten years ago, you couldn't have made it. You could make a UFO. I think you probably did, Attila, make a UFO documentary and no mm. one was interested in you. Today, both Attila and I, and I'm sure anyone who's making a UFO documentary, has a a veritable queue of distributors lining up to talk to you about your film. Oh, mm. So, for whatever it is, there's there's now like the Bob Lazar, would that was the start of it, or was that that was a pinnacle of it, you know? But there is now a uh, an audience and a thirst for content, and mm. this is going to get put out there. So you know, you've got to work out, you know, like Attila was saying, is it new stuff or is it just stuff that's being rehashed to sell it to a new audience?
4: Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's yeah. that's a I really think good point. It was very
4: well put on. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because like like you said, all of that stuff is it's just recycled and put into a prettier looking package than than the ones that were yeah. done twenty years ago. Like you said, because nothing new's really come out. Um, I think the only new thing that was really brought out into that film is Bob Lazar was so so adamant about this hand scanner, and for some reason this was a really big focus of that that documentary is about this hand scanner that would read the the bones in your body, and it, the that hand scanner. Was in multiple scenes of Close Encounters of the Third Kind in that movie, so mm-hmm. it's it's very very simple to say that is is that a is that a, a a fake moment within that documentary? Because did he did he make that part up? Because it was in a popular culture movie that was released around the time that he was coming out with these these allegations of working on these these types of craft and, and things like that. But one of the things that I really do like about the that documentary is that he raises a, a question that not all of these vehicles have been recent. Some of them were were dug up, they were they were excavated from sites, which kind of makes you think how long have how has this kind of been going on then?
3: Yeah, yeah, especially when you think of things like the Antarct- Antarctica and places like that. I mean. Um... Even historically, you look at the Bible and things like that, there's so many, so many different crafts of talking in, in in different religions, different cultures, in indigenous cultures. there's always lights and and sort of crafts and sort of beings, paintings on walls and things like that. I mean, it's, it's definitely not new. Um, but, yeah, it is fascinating. It kind of comes back to that whole Raiders of the Lost Ark sort of thing where you can just imagine that there's one of those big warehouses and they've just dumped all these things in there and just put a big seal on the site. It says, do not open for 50 years, you know. So it does make the
1: imagination run wild. It, it really it does. It also
4: comes down – sorry, mate, sorry. No, you're all right. You go. No, I think what I was going to say, it also comes down to the fact that um, – Um, You look at some of the the projects that that a lot of these uh, governments and countries have been running since, you know, the 1920s, 1930s. And there's some technology that's been obviously um, recovered or even, um, you know, um, modified since then. And, I mean, do we really know what kind of technology you know our governments have actually come up with and when i talk about our governments, specifically talk about australia i'm talking about governments of the world here um have actually discovered through experiments and science uh that how you know 20 30 perhaps even 100 years ahead of their time and um it was perhaps it was something that they couldn't control they didn't understand fully so they packaged it away and, and brought it out again 20 or 30 or maybe even 50 years later and tried something else with it. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's extraterrestrial in nature. It just means that perhaps there were things that were invented at the time that, um, you know, that we didn't quite understand, perhaps different forms of energies, perhaps different forms of, you know, compounds, um, who knows? I know that for a fact that, um, over the years, uh, when I was involved with the, the, the UFO phenomena quite heavily, um, I, I met up with a fellow and he actually told me a story that um, there are quite a number of cases, and this this fellow came from America, um, and he was telling me that there have been quite a number of cases um, in the past and perhaps even in the present where people, just your average Joe Blow, um, starts experimenting and inventing something that is groundbreaking. And that information is soon... Um, in the in the spotlight of, of certain government officials or certain government agencies, and they will confiscate the the, the, the blueprints. They'll confiscate the actual artifact or whatever that they've invented, and they will relocate these people and even change their names. So, we have to ask ourselves how much of that information or how much of that technology is actually being used today, or even have been used in the past, to implement into either military. Or, or or, some form of aviation, um, um, aviotics technology or, or aeronautics engineering. I mean, who knows? So it may not necessarily be what a lot of people assume to be extraterrestrial. I think that a lot of this stuff is very terrestrial. But, it could be abstract. Sorry? It, it could be abstract technology. It could be very abstract. That's right, yeah. exactly. something that we don't completely understand yet, but people have, have discovered it somehow.
3: I mean, when you were saying that, it's, I couldn't help but think, like, it's similar to, like, a Nikola Tesla sort of a thing, so, a guy who is exactly. creating these amazing power sources and things and just revolutionising things, but the world is just not ready for it. And the powers Absolutely. of people are not ready for it. I mean, we've seen it. We all relatively know that that's happened before, and, and I'd say Tesla's probably a good example of it. But, um, you know, you can go through and you can hear all the stories about it. So, Typically, a lot of in the... Uh, the motor car industry, mm. things with technology there, with the combustible engines and things like that, that. That you know, the hydration engines and things like that that just started to move them away, to, so it keep keep everything oil based. Yeah, mm. um, yeah. I mean, I don't think. I mean, I actually think that now we sit there and we think, I can't believe we're still. A lot of our stuff is still oil based. We're still using mm. these oils and stuff like that too, to, we're burning all this sort of crude oil and stuff with our vehicles. Surely we should have had better mainstream sort of ways of energising vehicles by now. But, you know, I'm sure, like you said, I'm sure there have been and I'm sure there are, but it must be, ec- economics does play a part in all this as well. Economics well, and politics. Yeah. Now, I think economics and politics is part of this whole <coughs> conspiracy <coughs> UFO kind of thing.
4: Excuse me, I'm coughing here. Mate, is that a COVID cough? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're in Queensland, mate. I might have to phone your premier up. Let her know.
1: <laughs> you didn't sneak over the border, did you, mate?
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, just to just to touch on what Don's saying there, it's um, that that is an interesting point to kind of bring up. There is how. How that does affect the, the political landscape? How does that affect the the I guess the financial landscape around the world? Because, um, <laughs> it, and it depends on how conspiratorial you want to really get into it. Because you know you can you can start to say, is is this a diversion? Because a lot of the the world's financials are kind of going down the drain because of COVID, just wrecking economies all around the mm. world. Um, is is this a is this a kind of like a blindside to get us to look at something else while something is happening with that? Mm. Great time to do it. Absolutely.
3: Um, mm. Because we've got so much on our plate at the moment. I mean, um, yeah, I'm still coming back to that New York Times article. I mean, yeah, that's amazing that they've written that and have admitted to it yeah. and allowed it to be printed. It's incredible. And, uh, like just try and slip it out there now. You know that, that it's almost like they have a quota that they have to fill of disinformation. So we're going to try and get as much
1: out as we can now in the last mm-hmm. in, for the next six months. That's that's an interesting point because um, someone made a, a comment up here earlier um, on on the chat here. And for anyone watching, if you have any questions for for any of us, just let us know, and I can put the questions up on on our screen, and we can um, answer them if they're if they're worthy of a, of a good conversation there. But um, something like people said that it's potentially a smokescreen and that um, Tom DeLonge is potentially just being used for uh, misinformation because of his, his public profile.
4: Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. It's a very good point. Can't see – I mean, I, I can't see it being – or being impossible, to be honest. Um, As to how far it goes, we don't know. But we we know that there are celebrities that are involved with UFO movements, so it's nothing new, you know. Like um, there's, uh, you know, I think Tom Cruise and uh, he's a member of, of MUFON, um, there's, uh, Dan Aykroyd who, who did documentaries back about yeah. 20 years ago. I think it was Dan Aykroyd unplugged on UFOs. I think that's what he called it. So yeah. I think he's also an active member of MUFON. So, you know, having these high profile celebrities, uh, being involved with, you know, um, the actual UFO phenomena is, is not an uncommon thing. Um, and again, you know, is this something that's, you know, for, for the current generation, is, is it something new for them? Um, Knows you know it's uh, it could be a smokescreen could be legitimate
1: and um something that that kind of got raised here in a in a chat window here is um what's your thoughts about this when it comes to UFOs and the level of high strangeness that goes along with that do you think that's a connection or do you think that's just something absolutely random when it comes to this this whole crazy topic
3: that's a tough one. I think there's an element to that. I think there's an element to that. And I'm not sure what it is. I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's external or internal. Yeah. I have at times sort of thought that I've experienced that myself. And uh, I've often, as opposed to thinking that everything's external, a lot of times I'm wondering if it's part of the human psyche that when you come into contact with something, whether it's a, your fight or flight, uh, you know, or adrenaline starts to get flooded into your system and all that sort of stuff, is that something that reacts as a physiological sort of an activation that happens? Um, but, no, I, I I don't discount it. I don't discount it. You're talking about like an Oz effect, that sort of strange Oz effect thing where when something starts to happen or Everything just starts to shut. That thing goes really quiet.
1: Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Sort of so, important. what um, was the... so
3: you've, you've probably, I mean, we've had those before ourselves together mm.
4: oh, out okay. doing stuff.
3: But you've had them as well, I'm sure.
4: Yeah. There have been a number of, of incidences that have, um, that are very similar to that. Um, there was one here in Minto, <clears throat> uh, back in 1999, which is over 20 years ago now. I mean almost like it happened yesterday, but um, it, of course that, that was that was surrounded by a very similar, um, you know, phenomena. Uh, there were sightings over in Narrabeen, um which which was accompanied by again very similar phenomena, where everything just almost like nothing else exists apart from the the event itself. Um, I've, as Don said, I've we've, we've experienced things like that, but I think. I think if you if you if you're if you're involved with this long enough, and and Don and I, are, I'd regard Don and I as, as trained observers because we're, we're filmmakers, and and our job is to record, you know, the reality of, of of the world, no matter how odd it is. That's our job. So we have to rely on our primary senses to be able to document and to convey that over to an audience. Um, I think I have enough trust in my senses to be able to determine what is something that my mind is fabricating or something that is actually happening um, in in this reality. Now, again, some people will say, well, whether or not you're tapping into another dimension, another form of reality. I mean, look, I mean, this conversation can go on and on and on and on like a snowball effect. But I, I think I have enough trust in, in my own observation that um, if if I were to see something like that again in the future, um, I, I think I would have enough trust to 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 legitimise that. Um, just to give you an example of, of strangers, because we we're talking about this with Don. Um, or I was actually telling him this story uh, about about a month ago. Uh, I was out filming uh, the next uh, edition to track, and uh, nothing happened really so we hiked back to our vehicle my vehicle which was parked on uh on this dirt road it's a very isolated spot very hilly uh there was this dirt track that wound around uh, a cliff face there was a drop off on the other side no vehicles no nothing it was dead silent that was really odd too because it was very very silent and um we saw this this diffused light spill over The bushes on the other side of the road. It was like something was approaching, but it wasn't that the lights weren't strong enough for a headlight. If it would have been a headlight, then it would have been somebody with with parkers on driving, you know, in pitch black on a dirt road with a drop off on the other side without railings. And then this light emerged. It it came around the corner and stopped and, and hovered about a meter above the dirt road. And it was in the middle of the dirt road and it was almost like it came to a sudden stop because it saw us. And it was sitting there for a few seconds and next minute this almighty glare like an explosion and it was gone oh wow that was it we heard nothing there was no sound associated with this explosion type finale um but i had never in my life seen anything like that now there was also another independent witness that saw this as well who was with me at the time so there was three of us there one guy who was um uh, I don't, don't recall what he was doing at the time. I think he was, he was going through his backpack. Um, and this other fellow who was actually standing there, we were both watching the same phenomena. Now, seeing something like that and having uh, a second party with you to corroborate the information, I guess, gives you more, um, more, I guess, more credence to the fact that what you're actually seeing is real. If you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. So next
4: time that you're out in the field and you know exactly that feeling, or you know that you're in a very similar situation, and you see something, you you can then say, "Well, I'm going to rely on my senses here because, yes, I, I I consider myself as a rational, logical person, but what I am seeing is is completely out of the realm of of, of everyday conventional uh, explanations." So, yeah, I guess I'm just giving you an example there of of, of how something that you see is happening and is present in this reality in this time as opposed to something that you feel could be a fabrication of the mind unless you're under the influence of something or so extremely tired that you're falling in and out of consciousness and you start to hallucinate that's a completely different um condition to be in but when you're completely alert and aware of your environment it's a different story altogether
3: yeah i'll say one more thing about that actually i noticed that we filmed and film a lot. We were filming a lot of, you know, making the Australian Skies stuff, but also a lot of paranormal shows and things like that prior. And it really got to the point where we, and me personally, I, I could go into these environments and if I'd be with people or on my own or whatever, and I could almost, not almost, I could tell when things were going to kick off just Mm, by watching the people that we were with. If we were doing a show about a particular group or individuals or things like that, we could go in and even filming with you, I tell, I'm sure that there's been times you and I have we've had nods where we go, it's going to go on that direction and this guy's going to go off. Yeah. Yeah. And you just yeah. know, the other thing that we found as well with this Oz Factor thing is that it compounded as well. It would start with something small and then something small and then it would go and then it would almost escalate into a huge thing and then drop off sometimes just as quick but leaving everyone mm. just going the hell's going on you know Mm -hmm. um and after a while of um filming it filming this sort of stuff and watching it you really you you do get a an instinct for it for Mm. it's going to kick in
4: absolutely if you do it long enough mate you know the feelings you have to identify those feelings Um, and sometimes your the reactions regardless how often it happens uh, sometimes you're not quick enough to be able to catch it on uh, on camera but um a lot of people say that you know well you know okay it's all good and well you've been out there so long you know doing this for so long how come you haven't caught anything of, of substance and it's it's easier said than done it it's it's these things are very very unpredictable and, and you could be filming a crew member when something happens behind you you know and 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 the last thing is the first thing you see on, on is basically this crew member's facial expression change suddenly and by the time you turn around the last thing you you, you think is like i'm going to aim my camera first and i will turn around because <laughs> you don't know what's behind you you know is it a threat or, or is it something of interest you don't know
3: that's it i think i mean it's an interesting argument as well they say you haven't caught anything i think we've caught lots of things of substance
4: well that's true yeah the
3: fact is though that people can only watch and see and i would say possibly 70 percent of the experience is what is being felt Mm. and when you're in the environment this whole thing is going off and the camera is just sitting there picking up, well, you know, what's going, what can it pick up, what can it see? Mm. But mm. You know, it's so frustrating because people actually need to be in these environments themselves and these situations and then walk away going, whoa, that just blew my mind because that's there's so great. much more to us and there's so much more to these experiences than just what we look at with our eyes and what mm. we can you know. And, and It's a for-
4: human experience at the end of the yeah. day. That's what it is.
3: Yeah, and there's lots of emotion with it as well. That's the other thing that mm. I find quite unique is the emotion um, that happens when people are experiencing uh, this Oz factor or these kind of strange experiences. And you, you can't mm. really capture that. Mm. You try to, especially with a camera. You try to, but you can't really quite get it. And, and oftentimes that don't quite known when the, the more intense Experience someone's happening 90% of the time, they will just sh- shut right down and just be like a statue because they just mm. don't know how to. And the camera's going, Well, they're being boring. And you go, No, the guy's internally combusting. You know?
1: Yeah, absolutely,
4: and, absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think one of the, yeah. the best examples of, of capturing something like this was actually in your most recent uh, documentary of Australian Skies 3, The, the Search for the Min Min, where we see you and Attila out searching for Min Min lights uh in in Bulgaria and, and, Bulia, and yeah. you you're you're all encountering something and Attila suddenly yeah. sees a shadow person in oh. in in the darkness yeah, there. Yeah. and that and you were fully yeah, this, captured there
3: this is a classic example you are exactly right i mean i mean I know attila is going oh my god but <laughs>
4: It is a classic example of. No, of no, no. no. I, I, sorry, I'm just I'm just re- re- recounting the experience and right. feelings of it. It's it's yeah. <laughs>
3: sorry. <laughs> in these the situations, and, and you you start to see how people can be unbuilt, and how these situations can unbuild someone, and, and it's um, and it's fascinating to be able to film it and fascinating, but it's also terrifying to see yourself get unbuilt as well and get caught up in it.
4: And yeah, um, yeah. You know, it makes you very vulnerable as a person because you, you you show a side of yourself that you don't usually show to people, you know, but in, in situations like that, you're in the moment and the last thing on your mind is that there's a camera rolling. I mean, who gives yeah. a shit if a camera's rolling or not? You know, I'm experiencing this. We're experiencing this together. Um, and, you know, it's not something that you experience on a daily basis. And, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Don, but these experiences, every time you have one, they're all different. Doesn't yeah. matter how similar they are; they all have their own variations.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you um, yeah, the, and it's not just the uh, the the UFO and stuff. The ghost stuff mm. as well. And argue, you know what ghosts and what it is and what it, like i still sit there and i go i'm not sure you know but i do know that there is an effect on a human uh when you go into these environments and that's that's fascinating in itself to try and work
4: out yeah, what it is. that's right absolutely and i managed to capture that on video too um in the series called phasmophobia that uh, we did back in 2013, 2014, um, you can see the effects of, of what something can actually do to a human being. Um, it um, and, and that fellow who was who was uh, who was affected at the time. He wasn't the only person. There were other uh, male figures prominently that got affected by this, and and people who you'd think that were as, as placid as they get uh, turn into uh, this 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 violent entity. Oh, wow. um and it's somebody it's it's almost like a a Jackal and hide coming out it's, it's for, for lack of a bit of expression but I, i've i've actually personally experienced that myself so i know what it's like and it's it's um i had bones broken because of that wow and i'll be the first one to admit it um, I don't usually go out and tell people that but it, it actually happened to me too so um, it's it's not something that you can play with very lightly I can assure you
1: Far out Sorry to, to jump in there guys but we do have a caller live on the air so do you mind if we bring them in they may have a question for you both
2: Paul are yeah, sure. live on
1: the air what's your name and where you're from?
2: Gary from Port Macquarie
1: G'day Gary how you doing mate?
2: Good and yourself? Very good very good
1: we've uh, got you live on the air
2: Um Mine is not a question, but a sighting I saw as a kid um, in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to share that with us?
2: Yeah, I was probably back in about 1981, 1982, where my grandparents used to live in the Blue Mountains. Um, You used to be able to see the the lights of Sydney lit up at night time. And I remember as a kid um, being drawn to the window looking out the lights of Sydney, and I was around with a few other family members, we saw saw this white solid orb going back and forth over the city skyline. And that experience has has never left me. Like, it went on for about five, ten minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, So, ever since that experience... um, I've read and heard that the Blue Mountains are quite a hot spot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's
3: right. are. Mm. We've had some absolutely. very interesting times Attila's in the tillers, had just the world, but we've had some amazing uh,
1: adventures up there.
4: <laughs> we have. We have. Uh, um, All right, uh, thanks, guys. You know, uh...
1: And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Also, are you wanting more content? Why not become a Believe Plus member? You'll get access to exclusive podcasts and episodes that aren't available to the public. Not only that, you'll also get our regular feed without any ads. Head to believepod.com forward slash plus to sign up today for just $5 a month. Continue what you're saying. Yeah, the the Blue Mountains are absolutely a hotspot.
4: Mm. Look, they are. Mm. Um, I... um I actually saw an image a fellow that took a photo um up around Wentworth Falls and he was just taking some random survey images and he actually happened to catch a photo of his cylindrical shaped craft that was hovering in the sky in a 45 degree angle um and it was quite substantial in size because you can see that it had some atmosphere um with it so it was quite a distance away, but um we've personally seen stuff out there you know um i used to do a lot of expeditions out in the blue mountains hunting for these these things um and and some of the encounters that we've had were just absolutely remarkable and one particular one that that i had probably going back around 2006 2007 brian mcmahon's lookout Uh, it was about three o'clock in the morning and um we we were doing shifts Um, So we had some people sleeping and we had some people awake. um, And uh, at this point in time, everybody sort of got up and got out of their tents and it was very, very misty because it it gets very misty out there. And um, we saw this rotating light in the mists within close proximity to us and um, it was just sitting there. We didn't see structure or anything like that. We can see that this, we're on top of a cliff and this thing was just in midair. There was no sound whatsoever. All we can see is just these lights rotating really, really fast within the mist itself. Wow. Um, it, it was scary. Um, I, I'll admit it. It was very, very scary because you don't know what the hell you're dealing with. It was quite large. And then this thing just basically just just gradually went back into the mist and just disappeared. Um, so, I mean, these are some of the stuff that people have experienced um, in the mountains. And, and Don, like Don said, I mean, we've, we've had some really interesting encounters up there in that place. I don't know. I mean, you can compare it with, like, a mixture of Rendlesham Forest and and, and the Sierras, Um, I mean, it's just – and mystical forests of Europe in Norway, you know. I mean, it's just got everything there. It's just got a plethora of different phenomena um, that I have personally also experienced over the years that I've been going up there, which has been about 20 years now.
3: I think the first time – I uh, went up there It was with Attila It was the first time we actually went out together Attila Mm. I was making a show called The Spirit Level And I was going around Australia Doing all these different um, topics And um, You know Ghosts and stuff like that And going to different parts of Australia Filming for this show And uh, this episode We were doing all on Yowie's and I thought, you know, and I was always a little bit like, oh, this is going to be a hard one because yeah, you know, they're not, you know, I don't really think there's much to it per se. And we went up. Shot, to, shots fired we there, Teller. The, and we filmed Evolve on this episode too. And it was our, my first time up in this particular area. And holy smokes. I, and I'm pretty skeptical of the whole sort of thing, but mate, if we didn't get rocks pegged at us, things screaming off into the in the distance and things moving around, things crapping on you know, on pathways that we were walking on, like just it was just oh unbelievable God. and yeah, uh and you know, just to have a group there was a, What Craig, Powell, yourself, and myself—and um, mm. that was one of the first. That was one of the first times I went. Wow, this is—it's just an old area. And I know that and Forest and all this sort of stuff. I think with Australia, when you get out away from the cities and you get away from all the bright lights and you, you kind of go back out into regional Australia, it's, it feels old but it feels alive. It really okay. feels alive. As opposed to walking into a spooky forest and blah, 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 there's something much more um, motivated <laughs> when you go into places like the Blue Mountains and uh, especially when you go out there with the intent of uh, having a look around. It's almost like it's rubbing its hands together going, Well, wow. <laughs> Great. It's just yeah. Halloween for them. We've got door knockers, kids. This is great. And uh, you've really got to be careful what you wish for because it might just, you know, come and grab you.
1: Absolutely. I um I get a lot of people who contact the show who say they, they have these weird experiences in in places like this. And one one of the experiences people ask me a lot about, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, because uh, it's it's very much a, a US based phenomenon, and I've only really heard of maybe two or three encounters of this ever happening in Australia. But have you have you guys ever heard of or encountered anyone, or even experienced something yourself regarding the the dog man?
4: No, not in Australia. Um, I, I had an experience in Europe, which, or well, actually, my son did. He had a. a a full-on encounter with with something that was very similar uh, to a dog man, and I can talk about that if you guys want to. But um, absolutely, it's uh, it's uh, in Australia. I haven't really had anyone uh, or, or any any reports that I can recall that would relate to creatures that would resemble a dog man or a werewolf type sort of entity. I guess because that's what we're looking at, I guess yeah. a lichen. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah, I've been fascinated with them. I've been listening to a lot of the uh, American podcasts that um, have people calling in with their experiences and it definitely in the last 10 years has uh, seems to be one of those uh, phenomenas that is taking uh, the field, the cryptid field, but not by storm, but it's definitely something to talk about. It's almost like the black-eyed children. They kind of came along at the Mm. same time. Have you heard of the black-eyed children? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of seem to pop up around the same time and start to creep into the lexicon that we're kind of talking about, the paranormal. But um, Mm. I can't say, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that have had experiences with it, but like Attila said, it's, it's a minimal sort of thing here, but who knows? what you know
1: what they could be yeah i've had one person come on the podcast to to share an encounter and they weren't even really aware that what they had was a, a dog, man, dog man encounter it was only from the information that i really extracted from them from talking to them that it, it came to my attention that it was a, a dog man encounter and this individual was actually out on a um on a ghost hunt and they're, they're part of a, a paranormal team down in in brisbane and they were they were walking through the the bush just outside of the outside of the CBD, is my understanding of this. And um, this this lady turned around, and essentially this dogman creature kind of rushed her, and she screamed, "Turn around!" And it was it was gone again. So I, I think there's a very very paranormal aspect to that type of creature, because everything I hear about it, it, it seems to be more of a, dom- a demonic creature rather than a, a flesh and blood. Creature um, like you would think of the yaoi or, or something like that?
4: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I've heard of reports where um, these things were chasing like, herds of deer and, and animals like that, so they're actively hunting for flesh and blood. So I don't know. Maybe there is a portion that is, Kate. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but, um, look, uh, the encounter that... If you guys have got a moment, that um, when I was over in Europe, um, I finished filming uh, Ghosts of Europe, um, and this was back in 2017, and I was visiting my brother over there, who have unfortunately since passed on. Um, and we were coming back at eight o'clock in April, so it's it's still sort of it's reverse um, seasons over there, so it's it's springtime, early spring, um, and it still gets pretty cold and dark pretty quick. So it was about nine o'clock. I think it was at of nine o'clock at night. We we're travelling home and we are going back to the hotel room had my door at my, the front of the car and my son was at the back of the uh, back of the vehicle and um we are leaving this small little town this small village and we're coming to an open road and one side of the both sides of the road had had fields of of corn and i think um canola uh, fields and and there's on the left-hand side there's a stretch of trees and those trees basically ran into a very dense national parks area that runs across the Danube and, and sort of spreads out. And uh, I could have been doing about six or seven kilometres an hour and I noticed that on, 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 our, uh, on our left-hand side there was a, this, this two red lights, very small lights that were basically following us. And there are no roads there because it's all fields. Um, after the fields, you've got this row of trees and that's it. There's no roads, no nothing. And this thing was basically pacing with us, whatever it was. And I thought, well, it could be someone on a trail bike or what the hell is this? And actually, this thing accelerated, crossed the road in front of us, not directly in front. Of it. it would have been about 100 metres, maybe a bit more in front of us. So all we saw was something large crossing the road. And it went into the field on the other side and... Um, the curiosity got the better of me, so I stopped the car, put it in reverse. I said to the, kid, I said to the kids, look, up, let's have a look and see what the hell this is because we were, and my daughter and I saw a cross. I don't know if my son saw it actually cross. So we reversed back and there's this tree on the side of the road on the right-hand side, and that's got massive canola fields as well. And that kind of keeps going keeps going until there's a railway track and, and uh, vineyards, and then there's a massive hill over there and other national parks over there. And he then, he looks back, and obviously with, with my reverse lights and the, and the brake lights and everything else on, he, he, he quickly starts hitting the, the, the back of my chair and says, Dad, let's get the hell out of here now. Now, we've got to go, got to go now. So he saw something. He wouldn't tell me until we got to the hotel room. It was very, very shaken up. And um, we saw something was in the tree. I, I, I saw something, my daughter saw something was in the tree, but we couldn't really make it out. But he had full view of it. And when he described it, it, was it was basically a really weird... Creature that he saw—it was—it was a. The tree would have been about probably six or seven meters tall, and this thing probably encompassed about half of that, maybe even mm. more. And it was on the actual tree, looking down at us. The face was like that of a of a canine, a large canine face, and the, the head was out of proportion to the body. The body was basically clinging on to the actual tree itself. So you can imagine how big this bloody thing was. But he said he didn't see any fur. It didn't have fur on it. Was almost like a. I don't know if it caught sinewy type sort of skin. It was like very sickly looking, very sort of patchy color. It was almost like it was sick or something like that. And this thing was basically glaring down at the car. Looked like it wanted to jump on the bloody car. Oh wow! So when he said, "Look, get out of here," I accelerated quick, smart. Um, I didn't get full view of it, but my son did, and he drew a he drew a sketch of it uh, later on. He was really shaken up. It was uh, he was was almost hysterical, Um, but. yeah, these things, these things aren't, aren't um, how can I put it? These things like this do happen in Europe. But the, the thing is with the Europeans, they're very religious people and they don't like talking about things like that because they believe that some cultures believe that they actually invoke, you know, uh, you know, uh, evil spirits and, and evil entities. So even if they see something, they won't tell you. They won't talk. They will completely shut down. Um, but uh, these things have been in, in European folklore for hundreds if not thousands of years.
1: Yeah. That's terrifying, mate. I, uh, I I feel for your kid. That that would have scared the crap out of absolutely anyone. And the fact that he saw that so vividly that he can draw it that that's spooky stuff, mate.
4: Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mind going back, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and doing a stakeout in that forest over there or nearby because. I think there's a lot more going on there than what meets the eye.
1: Yeah, and it, and it sounds like the this dog man it it had mange or something like that. It 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 had an ailment to it. So it it kind of you yeah. wouldn't imagine something that was a, a paranormal creature would have be the the ailments of the of the physical world, really.
4: Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what it was, mate? To be honest, I don't know. I don't know. What would be until uh, some of
3: your recommended scary locations in australia <laughs> give us give us a top five oh, <laughs> dude, we'll spot oh my god a couple. so that and and what i like is if anyone who's listening can recommend a couple as well
1: yeah actually Writing,
3: if, i want to know i want to get i'll give a recommendation as long as i get a recommendation
1: <laughs> all right <laughs> those right. people watching put it in the, right. put well, it into the chat we'll get it up on um, the screen.
4: Yeah, definitely. The Blue Mountains is is definitely one of them. Um, Penrose State Forest, definitely, definitely.
1: And, and um, are you able to give us just a little bit of a rundown of why these locations would be kind of hot spots? Like, what what would someone experience well, the, in those areas?
4: The blue, the Blue Mountains, is kind of speaks for itself. Because I mean, um, you know, there's there's everything there. Yeah, pretty much. Is just there's a plethora of, of, of Weird stuff, you know. Even during the day, but when when that sun sets, mate, that that whole area just turns into something else. It, it's almost like uh, it's this this it, it travels to a completely different a different dimension or to a different reality. I don't know, mate. It, it's just just takes a a, a personality on its own. Um, Penrose State Forest. I've been there a few times. Um, we, we've seen some really weird stuff, mate. Um, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, there was one sighting there. Again, my my son actually saw it. Um, <clears throat> we were out there filming uh, an episode of, of PI Uncut, and we didn't actually include that because um, uh, my daughter had a very bad experience there, so we ended up cutting that out completely. Oh, wow. But what he actually saw there at one point was was this almost like a, a triangular craft that was kind of skewered a little bit. But um, this thing was cruising between the actual pine trees. And it almost like he said that the structure looked like as if it had like large either plates or scales on it, but it was like a, a dark grey scale. This thing just basically it was very flat, it was very large and it just cruised between the trees without any sound. Um, yeah, from from really weird paranormal stuff there, mate. It, it it is. I don't know what that place is. I mean, who knows? Maybe it was a burial ground for serial killers at one point in time. I don't know. It's it's just again that place is just very very unique. Um, they're kind of the 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 two major places that are, that are within my proximity. Um, I mean, I can keep going, mate. I mean, there's just quite a quite a few areas, and Don, you know quite a few of them as well.
3: Mm-hmm. I'll trade you. I would go to the Pilliga. That's in New South Wales and uh, the Pilliga Forest or the Pilliga Scrub and that's a very renowned area. It's kind of uh, Coonabarabran and then I suppose it goes through to Narrabri but right in the middle you've got these little towns Baradine, and then you have this very small, which is almost in the centre of the pillager scrub, and it's called Wabigar. It starts with a silent G, so it's a silent G, W-A-B-G-A-R. And I grew up there, and that was a uh, very interesting place. We grew up on a farm there, and uh, my father was a farmer, and he was best friends with the local police officer. There and uh, the police officer would come out to have a beer with dad once a week, you know, and have a bit of a chat and uh, talk about stuff. And I can, I used to come out and try and listen to these guys in the late afternoon as they were talking about what was happening. And I can remember this officer talking about all strange things that happened. And dad used to love it, he used to sit there and go, Okay, what's ha- what's weird happened this week, you know, and there was always. <laughs> something strange that had happened in the Pilliga. And I can remember that a group of teenagers were coming back, I think, from Coonababran. They were in a car and they reckon they got chased by lights. And back then it wasn't a sealed road, it was a dirty, dust road. You could see a car for miles because of the dust clouds would come behind the car. But these kids, they reckon they got chased by a huge light through the Pilliga scrub. Uh, so much so that they had an accident when they finally got into into uh, Wobigar. Oh wow! And made the report. Other ones were uh, just heaps of Bigfoot, Yowie sightings, just massive. Always mm. there'd be a truck driver that would come into the police station, freaking out. Big burly guys back then who were just shitting themselves with stories of how they had a flat or they pulled over to have a sleep. And then they kind of they were woken with the whole rig being shook, and then screaming and things they were seeing and stuff like that. And and then um, you know there's just there's also ghostly apparitions that appeared along that road late at night. Now that's yeah. the place that I think even trumps the Blue Mountains. That place I think is the most alive and vibrant area in possibly Australia. Yeah, if you can mm. get. Have a look around. Get to the Pilliga scrub. That one. That's pretty wild.
1: That place. Yeah, absolutely. I have a. I have a couple of episodes coming up with um with a individual who had an absolutely terrifying yaoi encounter in there. Uh, one of her friends got knocked unconscious because of it and uh, yeah yeah so it's um it's that's a little tease for all the listeners to to keep an eye out for a Yowie episode dropping next season um but yeah Ooh. super super terrifying stuff that happens in there because um i know uh dean harrison over at um, australian Yowie research i swear you look at his youtube channel and he would have about 20 videos for the the, the pillager region it is absolute Absolutely. hot spot Absolutely. for weird stuff
4: yeah yeah, well, I've, I've had personal uh, first-hand account of the Pilgrim scrub um, as well. So uh, when we were up there filming uh, the last episode of of uh, Phasmophobia, it was a special that we did. It was a short documentary called Hunt for the Indigenous Yowie, which is on um, a very paranormal network. It's one of my early stuff, not that good, but the content was actually pretty decent because uh, some of the things that we experienced And one of the guys actually had a massive rock thrown at him. It was actually recorded, exploded right behind him, and uh, we had rocks thrown at the car, so We had to get out of there. Uh, we saw a, a massive shadow across the road at one point in time, so, again, we had to... We didn't want to hang around because it was getting too close. Um, uh, you can actually smell it. was like a wet dog and oh, wow. disgusting type smell. You know, Not a wet dog. It was like a wet animal, You know, like a sheep or a dog. Yeah. I mean, it was like a wet animal smell. But funny enough, when we were there, we were um, trying to attract attention and um, we could hear the dogs from distant farms you know, start barking in the distance and the barks got you know closer and closer because all the consecutive farms there were, were ag- all the dogs were agitated by something that was moving closer to us and we could make up this massive shadow walk across the road and that was sort of very very north of sort so in the pilligas scrub or not in the middle of it but kind of the very very sort of forefront of the of the Piligas scrub there so so many things that actually happened there I, Don I, I yeah absolutely I think that the pilligas is definitely a, a, a place that um that invites that kind of really strange activity. But there is also another place I haven't really mentioned, and that's Hill End down towards Bathurst Way and uh, Peel and Sunny Corner. And and people have had Yao yeah, experiences there. They've had lights following them, similar to what Don explained there. Uh, I, I was on an expedition there back in 2001, 2001 year, and uh, so I think we've done so much. And uh, some of the lights that we saw there was just absolutely incredible. Um I saw a preacher there too um, which which was a very very incredible um, experience and a horrifying experience um, even to this day but uh, yeah there was yeah just just a whole bunch of different stuff that went on there you know again I think I think the Australian wilderness itself I, I don't think, look I don't it doesn't matter where you go in the outback somewhere you're going to bump into something. Yeah, you know, this is a, a very, very old land here. You know, I mean, we're we're talking about you know land here that's suffered a lot. You know, during colonization. Um, I mean, we don't even know what happened to you know during the time to, in pre-colonization periods. You know, with the First Nation ruled the land. Um, you know, it's this this story. I mean, there's this earth, this country itself is almost like a, a primordial soup of, of of ancient relics that. You know, that wouldn't necessarily mean relics that you can pick up and hold, but things that that are just floating around in the ether and and occasionally come out of hiding when the the timing is right.
3: I'll give you another one. Kilcoy up in Queensland is an interesting Mm. place. We uh, did a couple of interviews there with some of the locals and um, the abattoir workers, and they have a big abattoir just on the outset, just as you go into Kilcoy. And uh, they forever were having problems. They had these big uh, industrial uh, bins that, you know, a lot of stuff gets thrown in and slops and stuff from the abattoir. And they would forever come out and finding these huge, like we're talking six metres, massive bins, are huge, um, upturned. And uh, stuff's been rummaged through and, uh, <laughs> you know, the funny thing about Kilkoi though, is that when you go down to the park down there, the park's called Yowie Park, and there's this massive statue of a Yowie that they have set up there representing the Yowie of the area that has been there for X amount of years. It's quite a funny story with it because they uh, used to have a different statue there that was quite well endowed, I believe, or something like that, and... Uh, Every Father's Day, some locals would get a couple of balloons and kind of put the genitalia in the proper area (laughs) or on top of that. But they had to change because some of the old ladies got a bit offended by it. So they had a much more decent looking Yowie there now. But none the same. I mean, it's still an area that has got a lot of history and a lot of bushland around it, very old. But um, yeah, it was very interesting to hear from the abattoir workers about all the problems they have. And it's a modern abattoir. It's big, huge, big security, like all this sort of stuff. And, but yeah, they sort of have these problems, with it, you
1: know. Yeah, that's interesting because um, places like that—they've—they've they've never been on my on my thought process to to potentially be hotspots. But when when you hear it just now, it's 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 plainly obvious that a place like that would potentially get a lot of attention from things like that. And and not only that, because we're starting to see a lot of big cat sightings coming out in Australia lately. Uh, we, we saw that really fantastic footage that got captured a, a couple of weeks Ooh. ago. And it kind of leads credence to thoughts of, you know, is, is that something in that area as well now?
3: now I found that really interesting, that footage, what I liked about it, that it happened in Rurunga of all places. And like, if you know Sydney, like is quite a well-to-do upper North Shore suburb, you know, like, and again, it's backed onto really nice bushland, but it's an expensive suburb and, um, you know, it, it's, it was interesting, just sort of very random, but the footage itself, I actually found it to be compelling. It was great to see finally something that just wasn't a blobsquatch. It was yeah. just not and not a trail cam that's caught something and you kind of go, yeah, it could be a possum. This mm. was absolutely something. This was a cat of some, like a feline of some description.
4: I mean, Attila, what are you, what's your call on it? Well, no, I think we discussed this when we had a phone call, Don, the other day, and, and I think that uh, you made some really good points. And, um, I mean, just the actual muscle tone, the way it was holding its tail, Um Especially when it stopped motionless and then turned around and looked at the uh, at the cameraman because I think the cameraman may have tried to get a little bit closer. Yeah. And you can actually see that boxy look that you actually get from, from big cats. And mm. I'm not talking about your local feral cat here. I'm talking about things that you find in other parts of the world, such as panthers and leopards and the like. So um, you, you look at that. Footage, and I actually compared that with with footage of, of of panthers in captivity and in the wild in other countries, and it, it suits the, profi- the profile just perfectly. Um, and I'm look, I'm not surprised because um, on an expedition we went uh, not so long ago, uh, when I was filming track, on our way out, we we smelt this almighty and foul cat urine. You know, it was so strong. And it was in an area that, um, on Federal Pass, in, in the Blue Mountains. And um, it was between the Golden Staircase and uh, uh, Ruin Castle. And all, all the guys that were hiking smelled it too. It was very, very strong, very sort of ammonia. Um, it had a very ammonia sort of um, element to the smell, to the odour. Um, and it was it was definitely very something that you'd smell from a line, you know, doing a Away in your front yard but i mean amplify that by about 100 <laughs> it makes your eyes water so there's obviously something big down there and um there's a time when we were on top of um on top of a cliff overlooking the valley there um and we heard this it wasn't a roar but it was like a wildcat screaming out you know the the that's yeah. You know, that that certain tone that big cats use, like leopards and and panthers and all that, that have that, and even bobcats, you know, in America, they have that specific scream when they when they're attacking something. We actually heard that in you know, in the valley there, in the Blue Mountain somewhere. Again, overlooking um, you know Cedar Cedar Creek and looking towards the Baragarang, um, and and you had uh, we had uh, Mount Solitary on on one side, so it was coming from that sort of area there. Um, so, look, I'm not surprised. I think that we, we do have a collection of, of different animals here. Now, whether or not they're indigenous is another question.
3: Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I don't know what the spec is for a, a domesticated pig. How long does it take a domesticated pig to become also like a razorback before the tusks start to to grow and stuff mm. it like I thought it was three months, but it could even be less. It might even be one month before... I think it's like a three-month or two-month transformation from a domestic pig mm. to, start to become one of these muscular, feral sort of animals that you see out there Its need to survive. Is that great? that They've just got that sort of hidden DNA that just mm. goes, whoa, okay, we're out of here. I'm wondering what the sort of story is with cats as well, but um, I think that looked like a bloody big cat if it was mm. a domestic cat. It,
1: yeah, it's it, it's some it, of the, the most – com-
3: Circus, so really. Let's yeah. just
1: face it. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's definitely the most compelling piece of evidence I've seen when it comes to big cat sightings here in Australia because um and, the problem with these cats is that they're they're all big black cats, you know, they're they're panthers, they're, they're they're cougars, they're leopards, whatever that may be. Um and it's it's pretty well known that back when Australia was getting colonized, these were kind of the the the, the pets that the, the the famous, the rich would have. It's it's very military. exotic.
3: Had yeah.
1: them as well mm. mm. things like that yeah yeah exactly so the fact that you know they they it's been recorded that they've just let them go out into the wild and australia yeah. is one of these countries that has no apex predators you've got the crocodile and that's it really there's nothing out there that that's going to hunt these creatures down it's basically they've got free roam of the country so mean oh,
3: you you gotta think about it. What was that documentary, the um, the, the cat one that's on Netflix? That one went bananas over three months ago?
1: Mm. Yeah, the one that was on... Uh, what was it called again? I think um, it was just called Big Cats or something.
3: Big Cats or something? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Basically, you've got these guys that collect these things. They kind of revealed how there's an underground sort of trading and sale of these domestic sort of... or these strange exotic animals and stuff like that. Surely... Mm there must be something like that happening in australia i know that australian wildlife like cockatoos and stuff end up overseas and stuff yeah. so they're obviously in the black trade Yeah. and there's a documentary idea for you straight away there to get up but you know who's to say you're right who's to say that some exotic collector didn't have one of these and it's kind of escaped and run off and you know didn't come home
1: yeah it's absolutely of, you know. so guys yeah, that was
3: Doco as well. What was that documentary until that just recently? Um, as That's Australian, the Australian
4: one, yeah. That was on and, uh, Discovery Network. Yeah, It was yeah. The, the hunt, I think. Yeah, the hunt. Yeah, the hunt. Yeah, the hunt. Yeah. Perfect time yeah. for them. Perfect timing for them. Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I know that that documentary was in the making for quite some time. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, uh, the uh, production companies down in uh, down in Victoria. I think they're down in Melbourne, but they did a pretty good job. It uh, yeah. was beautiful. Yeah. That was very well done. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. Well guys, I reckon Great. we uh we, we might wrap it up there tonight. It's uh it's been a, a very, very insightful chat. We kinda covered off everything that we'll look into to just chat about yeah. in general because it's uh it's been a while. And um where's the where's the best place people can find your stuff? We'll start with you, Attila.
4: Um, well, uh, the links uh, for for the content that uh, I've been making, uh, Moonlark Media, is uh, ParanormalInvestigators.tv. Uh, now, if you go to that website, will you'll see uh, most of the stuff that uh, that we've made over the years, and you'll have the links there to where to watch some of this, uh, some of the content.
1: Awesome, awesome. And uh, yourself there, Don.
3: Uh, AustralianSkies dot com and just go onto iTunes and all the usual streaming platforms and you can track down some mm. stuff
1: that we're working on. And uh, for anyone who's watching and don't doesn't know who I am, I host the podcast uh, believe and uh, you can find that on every podcast platform that basically exists and or or go to believepod. com and you can uh, listen to all the episodes for free there, which uh, I've had Attila and Don on multiple times each.
4: Thanks for having us, Matt,
1: again. uh, I think we should do this a little bit more often because this was fun and uh, I can see that the chat's lit up. We've got lots of people engaged. And, um, I mean, the the door's always open, guys, if you ever want to do this again.
4: No problem. Sounds great, mate. All right. No worries. Too easy, guys. Cheers.
1: And that's going to do it for tonight. And remember, if you have had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook and that's facebook.com forward slash believe ufo radio. Until next time, stay safe and you've been listening to believe Australian paranormal and ufo radio.